0: Christmas, second grade. My parents, as they did every year, brought me to the mall to sit on Santa's lap. And you've seen these things in the center of the mall with uh, women dressed as elves and big Christmas trees and a train set rolling around and cotton ball snow and whatnot. And one of the things I liked to do was get on my. Um, Uh, Knees and try and get as close to Santa as possible when I wasn't on his lap. And and closing the space where Santa was was this uh, like plastic white picket fence. And so I put my head through the picket fence to stare at Santa. And about 10-15 minutes went by. And my parents said, "Okay, come on, Mark, let's go." And I tried to back my head out of the railing, but my head was caught. Uh, So I called my dad over, and and he tried to bend the bars, and he couldn't get my head out. Uh, So I just started wailing, and finally my mom had to find a fireman who came and bended the bars uh, so that I could escape. I don't know what it was that attracted me to Santa Claus, Uh, but I do remember the thing I like the most about Santa's space. It was the mailbox to the North Pole. I don't know about you, but there's a certain allure about communicating with someone in a distant land. Maybe you've been to uh, see Santa and put a letter in the mailbox to the North Pole and wondered, will it get there or will it drop out of one of the elves' bags? Or maybe you had a, a pen pal growing up. And you sent him or her a letter and you wondered, will it get there or will it be confiscated by some type of embassy? Or maybe you've uh, you know, been surfing the Internet late at night uh, and you Google that old high school friend you haven't seen in 15, 20 years. And you find his email and you send him an email and you wonder, uh, will it get there or will it be rechanneled into his spam folder? You know, you think prayer would have a similar allure. After all, God promises that our prayers will be heard. God listens to each and every one of them. Interestingly enough, however, in a recent poll of Christians in America, 23%, only 23% of Christians in this country feel satisfied with their time in prayer thought about that statistic this week and wondered why. My first thought was, well, maybe Santa and pen pals and old high school friends are just more interesting than God. But to be honest, I don't think that's the reason for our dissatisfaction. Instead, I believe that the reason why so many of us, myself included sometimes, are so unsatisfied with our prayer life is that we simply do not go... ...to the mailbox at all. We don't pray. One of the things that the Psalms say is that God listens to the prayers of the destitute... ...and He will not despise their plea. God desires to hear from us in prayer... ...and yet you and I so often resist going to the mailbox or praying. So what I wanted to do this morning is lift up for you uh, four dumb reasons why Christians do not go to the mailbox to pray and then offer up some guidelines about prayer. But first we'll start uh, with the dumb reasons why Christians like you and I just skip the mailbox and avoid communicating with God altogether. Uh, Stacy is going to help me out here and put uh, some of these uh, on uh, the board, uh, and uh, I am certainly uh, excited uh, for her help. Uh, Much of this material comes from uh, uh, Philip Yancey uh, in a book about does prayer uh, make a difference. Well, the first dumb reason that Christians so often do not go to God in prayer is they say, I am a sinner and so God must not care about the details of my life. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Jesus says even the hairs on your head are numbered and known by God. The Bible includes prayers from everything from a widow who needs more cooking oil to a person who prays for rain during a drought. Paul, for instance, prays for protection for uh, sick friends, for safe travel. Jesus offers up the most basic prayer of all. God, give us this day our daily bread. If you are here and believe that God does not somehow care about the details of your life and will not listen to your prayer, then I've got news for you. You've got God wrong. For the God that we have gathered to worship today cares about the intimate details of your life. David Ford, a professor at Cambridge University, once had a conversation with a Catholic priest who had been in the priesthood for uh, 30, 40 years. And he asked the priest, uh, in all your years of confession, what is the single greatest problem you see out there? You know what the priest responded to the professor, the problem that he saw? God. God. What happened was people would come in to confess and nobody would understand that God was compassionate and graceful and merciful and caring about the details of their lives. Pastor tells the story of being in a in a country church where they offer up each week uh, joys and concerns. He would ask the congregation to bring those forward for prayer. Uh, and one day, he asked uh, for concerns, and a gentleman stood up and talked about how two of his very close friends uh, got in a car accident on the Saturday night before uh, the service. He talked about how he wanted the congregation to pray for them. Sat down, and a couple minutes later. Uh, the pastor's daughter in the back of the church stood up, a little girl, and said, Daddy, at the worst possible moment after this guy had just talked about this car accident, said, Will you pray for my hermit crab? And so there the pastor was praying for a car accident and a hermit crab, and he was feeling kind of bad. So after the service, he went up to the gentleman whose friends were in the car accident. He said, Look, you know, that was my daughter, and, you know, I I just had to do that. And the gentleman said to the pastor, You know, if God cares so much, as to be concerned about the details of a hermit crab, if God loves us that much, then make no mistake, that is precisely the God that I want to be with my friends in the hospital at this moment. Okay? God cares about the details of your life. Well, then a second a common reason why Christians just simply don't go to the mailbox at all is because God already knows everything anyway, so why then do I have to to pray. I believe that God, yes, is omnipotent and all-knowing, but at the same time relies on us, relies on human agency to govern the world. In fact, my favorite definition comes of prayer comes from Barbara Down Taylor. She said, prayer is our opportunity to work with God in shaping history. And I believe that we can make a difference with God Uh, In our prayers. And if you disagree with me, you're welcome to email me at mcrocker at uh, ahumc.org. But that's just certainly uh, what I believe. And so I don't see it necessarily as a a disadvantage that God knows everything. I see it kind of as advantageous that God already knows what's on your heart anyway. So not only can you get right to the point, but you have a God who understands uh, your concerns. And then a third reason, and, and probably the excuse that I offer up more than any of these, uh, that Christians do not pray is this, I don't have time. I don't have time. You know, it's the greatest spiritual disease of our era, efficiency. Heard the story of you know, the other day of a man who was hospitalized and in rehab for about six weeks with a, with a uh, broken disc in his back. And while he was laying down there for those six weeks, he would uh, pray to God. He said, God, this is great. We just have so much time to share together. I wish I had this time to be with you when I was well. And what he said that he heard God saying back to him was, you do have that same 24 hours when you're sick uh, and when you're well. The problem is, is that when you're well, you believe that you're in charge. But when you're sick, you know that you're not. When it comes to not having enough Time For prayer. It's probably a question of who is in control. And I know that if there's the worst culprit in the world for this number three, I don't have time. Uh, that would probably be me. Uh, but certainly uh, not a, a legitimate excuse. And then fourth and finally, and whereas number three is the one I violate the, more, the most, number four is just kind of my pet peeve. And it is, I am not a very good prayer. You know, some folks, there's a, there's a myth out there started somewhere, I don't know why, that ye, prayer is like learning a foreign language and there's some technique of prayer. Friends, that's ridiculous. You may remember that in 1787 when the uh, Constitutional uh, Convention, the delegates met uh, for the Constitutional Convention, uh, Ben Franklin uh, asked them if he could begin the sessions of the convention with prayer because the nation was uh, very hardened at that moment and uh, the delegates uh, denied his request not because they didn't think it was a good idea to begin the meetings in prayer but because they didn't have enough money to hire a chaplain to pray you don't need a chaplain to pray you don't need me to pray even the best theologians of our time the most scholarly people would admit that there's no there's no uh, you know language of prayer Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, "Our mumbling utterances can be better than the best formulated prayers." C.S. Lewis said, "Our worst prayers in God's eyes may, in fact, be our best. Prayer is not about learning a foreign language. It's about using the language you have already." So then you ask, "Well then how do I pray? Should I pray alone or should I pray in groups?" Should I pray the prayers that are in the Bible, and the church's liturgy, or should I pray my own? Should I pray extemporaneously, or should I use an acronym like A-C-T-S or J-O-Y? Should I write my prayers down? Should I sing my prayers? Friends, all those are great questions, but what you need to know above and beyond that is prayer is not about mastering a technique. I think we can take great comfort in the fact that for years the disciples hung out with Jesus and they still had to ask Him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that human words cannot express. So what I want to do right now is to not give you a rubric or a how-to uh, to pray, but rather trust the Holy Spirit to intercede. Uh, in the words of Roberta Bondi, uh, if you're praying, you're probably already doing it right. So I'm not going to offer up a how to, but what I am going to do is just give you some, some personal testimony about my own prayer life, uh, some guidelines that you might want to consider uh, when you're praying. And I have four of these guidelines, they just also happen to begin uh, with the letter I. And the first one that I put down is just uh, be intentional about prayer, maybe have a designated time and place. Uh, So many tell me that they will pray on the run, in the car on the way to work or on the treadmill at the gym. And I think that's very appropriate. But as you saw here in the video, oftentimes when you're trying to multitask, prayer can be a tough thing to do. Uh, Bill Hybels, for instance, in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray, says, look, it's really hard to build a marriage on the run and it's really hard to build relationships with your children on the run. And likewise, it's really hard to build a relationship with God on the run. So praying on the run is just fine, but try to find a time that you can designate to pray. And again, it could be different for everyone, whether it be first thing in the morning or late at night before you go to sleep or throughout the day at meals. Uh, or in worship or with a small group I'm not sure when that time is But just have a time uh, that's designated and set aside And also a designated space uh, One of the things Jesus does when he prays Remember in the gospel is He goes up to the mountainside and he prays there That was kind of his prayer uh, space I mean perhaps you have a place outside that, that you feel you connect with God better than any place else That could be a designated space for you Or perhaps you're more like me and you don't contemplate deep thoughts under a tree outside and you'd rather be inside. Uh, Jimmy Carter, for instance, set up a prayer room right outside the Oval Office that he just designated for prayer. You may have a prayer chair or or I don't know, uh, but some sort of designated space. I know one of the spaces that I use is the prayer room here at the church uh, on Mondays uh, for an hour. And you can sign up for an hour at a time uh, to pray if that is what you would like to do. And if you're interested in that, you can email me at mwilliams at uh, ahunc.org. But certainly having a designated time uh, and place uh, has helped me in my prayer life. The second thing that I would mention uh, when I think about when I pray is I make sure that my prayers are as intimate as possible. When Jesus prays, for instance, the Lord's Prayer, He says, Our Father, and the word for Father there is Abba, and it literally means Daddy. The word hallowed just means honored, Thy and Thou, Yours and Your. The language Jesus used to pray to God was not the language of the temple, but the language of the people. Do not pray like the Pharisees, Jesus said, with heaped-up, empty phrases. Instead, come to God intimately with your heart. Now, I would say that the one thing that has helped me with this more than anything else when it comes to praying intimately is that I often uh, use distractions during my prayer uh, as an advantage. Because I had always thought all along that if you were praying and you didn't focus real well and all these thoughts came into your head, you know, like your grocery list, have you ever done that? Uh, that you were somehow just some horrible person and really bad and you needed to focus more. But what I learned uh, through reading a, a, a book by Herbert McCabe is he said use those distractions to your advantage because often what is at the root of the distraction is what you really should be praying about. So he says, look, you know, you may pray for high minded, proper, religious things, and he cites, you know, peace in Ireland or your great aunts flu, but in the meantime a distraction will come through, and it's probably the distraction that is really what God wants to hear. So for instance, if you go to pray for a sprained ankle, but you find yourself losing focus after twenty seconds because you're worried about your kids in soccer camp, then it's probably not the strained ankle, the healing that you need to be praying about it's probably worry. You know, as Herbert McCabe said, uh, people who are on sinking ships generally do not complain about distractions during their prayer. It's just not part of, 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 of what, they're, what they're thinking about that moment. And I think if you can get to those distractions and get to the root of those, you will find that your prayers will develop the type of, of intimacy that God desires from you. And then a third uh, suggestion that I have that has helped me in, in my prayer life is that I like to make my prayers intercessory. And I know that that is an SAT word. I just wanted all the words to begin with the letter I. But what it means is just pray on behalf of other people. Because I generally find that when I go to God in prayer and I'm only thinking to myself, I slip into kind of the please God prayer. Please God, do this. Please God, do that. And then it becomes all about me and I start feeling guilty and then stop praying altogether. And so what I like to do when I pray is to just think about other people also who need to be lifted up. And prayer it makes me a lot less of a selfish person uh, and transforms me into a little bit more like the prayers that Jesus would pray. Generally, think of three groups of people. I, I start with people who are closest to me, my wife, my family, uh, my uh, people I work with, uh, and I will pray for those people. But I also like to pray for those people who are most distant from me. For instance, if you were here last Sunday, you heard Michael talk about some of the places all over the world who uh, are battling issues such as slavery. And one of the things that I hear is, "Oh my gosh, I just I can't pick up right now and go there. What can I do?" And if prayer is your opportunity to work with God in shaping history, you can pray for some of those higher uh, concerns. Uh, that people have in distant places. That's what Philip Yancey said when he visited the church in China. They were being persecuted. And he asked one of the preachers there, what can we in America do if we can't go over there? Uh, And he said, well, just pray. Just pray. And so I pray for people closest to me, for people furthest away from me. And then I also like to, and and these are on good days, to remember uh, to pray for my enemies. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. And one of the things that I've found is that whenever I have to have a tough conversation or have to confront somebody who is in conflict or who is uh, perhaps an enemy, I have found that when I pray, before I do that, I tend to see that person not as I see them but as Jesus sees them. It helps me out. But I also know that at those times where I have to have a very difficult conversation, I will plan in my head, just kind of a, okay, if he goes this way, this is where I'm going to go. And I I kind of plot my attack. But when I use that time to pray instead of plot, I can see that person through the eyes of Jesus. But when I plot, I I, I generally get angry toward that person. So I remember uh, those three groups of people and like to make my prayers uh, intercessory or, or include other people. And then fourth and finally, uh, I like to make my prayers in some way invitational. I like to invite God to do something. We all know how much fun it is to walk to the mailbox and to mail someone a letter. But I think we would all agree uh, that the most fun part about going to the mailbox is receiving something back. Maybe you've been gone from a loved one uh, for a while and and you've received a letter from him or her and you've just cherished that letter. I know when my wife and I sent out our wedding invitations, uh, it was a big deal going to the mailbox and seeing just who responded back. But if you're anything like me, you have also walked to the mailbox and received that very thin envelope from a college rejecting your application. Or you've opened up a form letter that is very cold and that you did not want To read. So, just how does God respond to our prayers anyway? Well, you'll have to come back next Sunday and find out.